is we're in the Halloween season. That is actually a season. I don't know if it's a season, but in my neighborhood, it's a season. Because everybody decorates um, to beat out. It's like um, uh, Chevy Chase, the Christmas vacation, uh, but it's for Halloween. So everybody tries to outdo each other with Halloween decorations. And we don't really do a whole lot with that, never have. Um, but uh, I think Olivia wrote on a little block... Um, this was our decoration. She got a piece of wood out of it. It was just had fallen down. And she wrote with a Sharpie, you're going to die, and put it on our porch. So that's our, like, that's a little intense. But um, that's our Halloween decoration. But we're in this uh, Halloween sort of time. People are thinking about, and you know, you think about what are the Halloween characters. Um, uh, Olivia's going to be a Wookiee. Now, that's a good Halloween character. Um, but uh, you think of a vampire. Vampires suck your blood. Um, and uh, some of those people that can suck the life out of you, right? Ever met somebody that way? You know, the Bible says so often the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, to love our neighbors as ourselves, but some people are not as easy to love as others, right? Some people have to just have a little bit more challenge to them when we want to love them like God is calling us to, and so that's, it can be difficult. We're, we're, we're talking about relational vampires. Next week we're going to look at um, overly critical people. We've ever met somebody that's overly critical. Maybe you had a parent that, that was that way, or you felt was that way. Maybe you work with a boss that's that way. Um, you can. We're going to talk in the following week after that about needy people, um, needy people, people that always need something, and whatever you do is never enough. Um, and then we're going to talk the last week about hypocritical people, um, and then what is our responsibility to love people that are uh, possibly hypocritical, the same one thing and do something else, and so. That's where we're going to go in this series. I hope it's helpful. And it's something you might be able to invite somebody to. But it's pretty straightforward. We all deal with these sort of people in our lives. And it could be something that would be helpful to maybe somebody you work with or somebody you know. Um, this week we're going to look at, we're going to turn our attention to what I'm sure all of us face at one point or another. And that is controlling people. Controlling people. Um, how many of you know somebody that might be considered a control freak? If you would lift your hand. You're sitting next to somebody and they brought your hand back down. <laughs> that could be a sign of something, right? Don't you dare raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Um, so we all know some people that are maybe a little bit controlling, a little bit of a control freak. Um, there's some of us here that, to be honest, it's kind of, we can laugh about it, but some of us have been hurt um, in, in our lives by people that are very controlling. Um, maybe it was a, an authority figure in your life, authority role that was, uh, took it too far and was abusive and harmful um, and hurt you. Maybe um, other people were not being malicious, but just out of that sense of control had done damage and harm in your life. Um, sometimes people are just needy. Um, sometimes people are insecure and, and others are just hurting people that want the world to be in their uh, shape and form. And, uh, and that includes whatever you're doing as well. And so um, we can encounter all sorts of people that have this element of control in their life. And uh, it can be challenging. Um, some people are, you, you look at them and they're kind of an emotional black hole. Um, you, they, you give them an inch to take a mile. You don't give them, they whine, stomp, complain. Um, maybe it's silent treatment. Um, it make you feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. Have you ever met somebody that way that you just kind of like, uh, I don't know what to say, what to do. Is this going to go bad at any point here? Um, maybe you're thinking of somebody, you got someone locked in your head now. Okay, don't point, don't do any of that. That's not going to make this harder. Um, <laughs> David's squirming. Um, so how do we love, the point is how do we love the people that are maybe trying to control us in some way, shape, or form? 
Um, how do we love those people? Because God has called us to love everyone, including the people that are difficult to love. And these are some of the people that are difficult to love. And so we want to establish a basic foundation here. What are a controlling person's two greatest weapons? This is on your notes if you want to follow along. There's a few more up here if you didn't get one. Um, so if you'd like to, um, the first two blanks here, what are their, their greatest weapons? And the blanks are threats and guilt. Controlling people will use threats or they'll use guilt. Uh, threats, um, you know what a threat is. It's um, you better do this or you're going to regret it. Um, I'm going to come straight forward at you and, and either either say it straight up or maybe I'll imply it. But you better do what I want. You better perform or you'll be punished. Um, you better um, follow what I say um, or you're going to have to pay for this. This could be a, a boyfriend. Uh, maybe you've experienced it somewhere along the way. It was uh, some sort of control and there's a threat that if you don't do what I want in this relationship, I'm going to break up with you or this is going to go bad or I'm going to hurt you in some way. There could be a boss that terrifies you and makes you feel like you're going to get fired. You're on the eggshells because you don't know if I just don't do one thing, I could get fired, lose my job, then I don't have an income. And um, they're, they're controlling, they're using threats, so you're always on edge. Uh, maybe even a, a married relationship, a spouse could be always threatening to leave or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that if you don't follow what I say. Um, whatever it is, one of, um, one of the manipulators or controllers' greatest weapon is, is to use threats. Also, they use guilt. Um, they can say things or just imply them. You know, after all I've done for you, um, I thought we were friends. And, you know, I thought, we, you know, after everything we've gone through, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that. Um, you call yourself a Christian. What kind of Christian are you? Um, you know, you maybe encountered that at work. I thought you said you were a Christian. You know, uh, you ever had that someone wants you to do something? But I thought you said you are a Christian. Right? Let me use that one on you. You know, okay, yeah, I am a Christian, but does that mean now you can control my life like a video game because I said I was a Christian? Um, maybe you have a relative that says, you know, you never call me, you never, you never check on me. You think, uh, you know, what's wrong with you? You don't love me. Uh, you know, you, I could have been dead, rotten in my house, and you know, you would have never known because um, you just don't even care. You know, I just don't feel the love. And so, threats and guilt. Those are the two. Those are the two main weapons or the two main. Um, uh, areas that a controlling person will use. So how do we love these people? We're going to look this morning at Jesus as our example, because he's always our example. But this is a good example. Jesus in the New Testament. Um, we're going to read, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read in there. Jesus' example of what we need to do, how we need to approach people who are controlling. Um, believe it or not, Jesus had people who wanted to control him. He had people that uh, certainly wanted to keep him from proclaiming well, who he was and, and teaching healing. We had, he had enemies, right? Pharisees, they were plotting to kill him. They were trying to do this, do that. So we, we're not going to look at those guys. There, there's always the people that are against us and they hate us that want to control us. But often people that want to control us are actually for us and love us. But they don't understand certain things and they don't have the right perspective. And so in the midst of that, they get controlling. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, in Matthew 16, verse 21, we'll pick up. Um, actually, we're going to pick up in verse 13. We'll get a running start here. Um, I saw that. Uh, Dane and I watched that skyscraper movie. You saw that with The Rock. I don't know if saw it. He's running off. I think I get that running start and then run into the next building. Maybe saw the preview. Anyway, that. Um, so we're going to get a running start here. I just thought I'd throw that out. Um, from, uh, it says this in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he said to his disciples, Who do 
people say the Son of Man is. You guys have probably read this passage before. All right, it's a pretty famous passage. Jesus is taking a retreat with the disciples. They're going on some team-building exercises, um, getting out of Galilee a little bit, going north to where Mount Hermon is. And they're in this place called Caesarea Philippi. It's your history lesson. This is bonus content. Okay, it's like on the DVD or the Blu-ray. This is bonus. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was a Roman city placed on top of an ancient Greek um, city. Um, and actually beyond, before that is even a kind of a pagan city. Um, it was Philip, who was the son of Herod the Great, that called it Caesarea, and then they named it after him, Philippi. So Caesarea Philippi. Um, there's a lot of idolatry in the city. They worship uh, the Greek god Pan, um, who was a goat slash man, uh, where we get the word panic from this Greek. Uh, he would cause panic, and so that's where we get the word panic. That's, that's bonus. That's why I told you bonus. It has nothing to do with that. Um, so anyway, he takes him to this place, which has a lot of historical background, a lot of things going on. There's, there's some You'll, you'll see this. It's on a, a rocky place. All right. There's there's a cave. There's a, this temple. There's, you know, so it kind of sets the backdrop of what Jesus is talking about. And he says this. Um, who do people say that I am? You know, there's there's idolatry. There's people worshiping stuff here. What what who do people say? What are they saying about me? And they reply. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. What, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, Peter answered. You are the Christ. Christ meaning Messiah, anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it or prevail against it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you build, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was Christ. It wasn't the time yet. And so we, we, maybe you read this passage before. Peter answers and proclaims, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the one we're looking for. Um, you're in charge. You are the one that's the boss. We're following you. All this stuff. Peter gets it right. Peter's for Jesus. Peter's a great guy. Um, but watch what happens here. Um, after he wins Jesus' jeopardy, you could say. Uh, let's see what happens. Uh, verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Okay? So, I'm the Messiah. Yes, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But let me tell you something about what it is to be the Messiah. It means I got to go to Jerusalem. I got to suffer. I got to die. And I will be raised. Okay, so he's redefining what they think the Messiah is. And, and look at Peter here. And this is where we'll get into what kind of leads us in our topic today. Because Peter doesn't like what he hears. Peter doesn't want to come to terms with reality. Ever met people that don't like what they hear? They don't want to come to terms with reality. They don't like how it's going. And they want to reshape it into their own uh, mold of what they want. So Peter does the same thing. He says this, Peter took him aside, verse 22, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. Let me stop there. So one, he takes him aside. This is what um, people who are controlling will do sometimes, isolate you from a group of people, get you off here, make you kind of feel disconnected, and then so they can exert their control over your life. Um, you see this, I don't know if 
just looking back in a relationship world when you're in high school and you know the, the guy gets the girlfriend and all of a sudden he disappears like where's my friend you know and he's dating the girl and they're isolated off from the, and they're doing you know all of a sudden there's this weird little thing and they're not your friend anymore and then they break up and then he wants to come back and be home even Dane's telling me about his buddies in middle school that's that's the story that's just part of the fabric how that works you isolate get off over here and we'll see if we can control you and make you do what I want you to do um, so, so there's that isolation. And look at this. This is a strange irony here. Peter says this. Never, Lord. It's like other times in the Bible, someone says, no, Lord. Those two words don't go together. If somebody's the Lord, what are you telling them what to do? Right? No, Lord. That, that doesn't work. It's, it's an irony. Maybe, maybe that, I just find that kind of funny. Never, Lord. You're the Lord, but I, I'm going to tell you what to do. Because I'm going I'm to boss you around. I says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, okay, get behind me, Satan. All right, just a second ago, you were like the number one disciple. You were like on point. You were like leading the way. And now I'm calling you Satan, okay? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. It's an interesting passage. There's three things we need to know when it comes to people trying to control us and how we love these people will follow what Jesus did. Number one is this. Three things you need to know. Know, number one, know what you're called to do. Know what you're called to do. If somebody's cold and you want to turn this up, I don't know if you're cold, you feel good? All right, cool. Um, know what you're called to do. Jesus is crystal clear about his calling. Over and over again, Jesus would say in, in various different ways what his purpose and his mission were on earth. Why did he come? He says in Luke 19.10, I, I listed these scriptures here for you, uh, the references. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I know why I'm here. I came to seek, seek and save the lost. Uh, he said, uh, Mark 2.17, um, I not come for those who are healthy, but for sick. I not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. I know who I came for and who I didn't come for. There's certain people I'm really focusing on, some people I'm not. Not that I don't love everybody, but there's a, there's a certain focus to why I'm here. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, I didn't come so other people would serve me. I came to serve others. I didn't come to be served, but to serve others. Jesus was very clear about his calling. I came to give my life. He says in this past, Peter, I'm, I've got to give my life. I have to suffer. This is why I've come. Do I want to do this? Probably not. We see Jesus in the garden wrestling with this calling and even saying, if there's another way, Father, take this from me. Take this cup from me because this is not what I want, but this is what God wants. The Father wants this for me. And so I will follow what he wants. And so Jesus was clear. That's how he could do the most difficult things because he knew this is what I'm called to do. And so for us, we have to know what we're called to do. To love those who are going to control us, we have to be clear about our calling. We have to break this cycle. I mean, and this is, this is something that maybe when we think of calling, you might think, well, I mean, that seems pretty massive. You know, Jesus came to save the sins of the world. Is that what? I mean, I don't know, right? And so we, we get this grandiose idea of my calling, and so sometimes we don't even get any clarity because it seems such such a broad concept or such a massive concept that, you know, how do I even get to that? And so maybe maybe sometimes it's not this massive thing. You know, a missionary to Zimbabwe or I'm going to cure cancer, solve world hunger. Um, and maybe sometimes it's not even like super specific. 
Your calling may not even be like this thing. Your calling could be not even to something, but to someone. I think about my life. My calling uh, is to be a dad, right? It's to my kids. Because guess what? I have four kids. So when I had four kids, that became my calling, right? If I never had any kids, then that wouldn't be my calling, but I had four. And so as long as they're in my house and as long as I'm alive, I'm their dad. And I'm the only dad they have. So that's part of my calling, and I have to remember that. I can't say, well, yeah, I have kids, but you know, God's called me over here to do all this other stuff. And you know, that's just another thing. Or somehow I had kids, and they'll, they'll be fine. No, sometimes our calling are, are the people who are closest to us. Not always something could be someone. You could be to love your wife, to love your husband, to nurture that relationship. Okay? Some of you are not married, so maybe that's not even a part of it at all. Um, it could be to uh, be a blessing to your kids, to your grandkids. It could be um, be a blessing to your coworkers in a, in a maybe toxic work environment to show up and be life, be life-giving in a place that's not life-giving. So your calling is to people that you are around, around you, the people closest to you. Um, it could be, if you're young, I mean, you're a student, to build that foundation. Or you're just in a season of life where you're building a foundation for the next season. And you might think, this doesn't even seem like anything that great. But maybe you're building the foundation for something that will be great. And you have to lay it at this time. And it just seems like, well, where, you know, I want to get to this. But you have to build this first. You have to lay this foundation. Um, we're called to be a witness. Uh, to share the love of Jesus to, with people around us. Maybe you do well in your job. Some people do really well in business. They do really well in their job, and they come home, and they have money left over. They have a good paycheck. Maybe your calling is to take what God's blessed you with and, and find creative ways to bless others. Maybe there's people I can bless I, because God's blessed me so much. I can be a blessing with this, not hoarding it all for myself, but finding ways I can minister and help others in need with what God's blessed me with. Like I said, my, I feel like my calling is to, to love my wife, to be the best dad I can be for my kids. You know, that's a, that's a huge calling. That doesn't go away. Um, and that's what I feel like I need to do. And I, I've been called to shepherd this flock, this church, um, in this season. I feel like God has called our family to be a part of this community, to see us be established in this selection community as a church, to have some stability um, so we don't feel like, um, you know, one little thing happens and oh, we're going to meet, you know, like what we used to be. And I want us to see us. Build a stable church environment where people are serving, using their gifts, are, are feeling like they can invite their friends, and this can be a place that's life-giving for this community. Um, and we can be a part of that. We all are a part of this, this calling together. Um, I, I feel called it at some level to be a part of my kid's life in such a way that I coach a million different things, right? So I'm always coaching this, coaching that, um, because I want to be a part of their lives, because um, you don't get that time back. And it, while I'm coaching... You know what I do? I don't just focus on my kid. Like, oh, that's my kid. I'm just going to. I then, okay, I'm coaching Dane. But you know what? Dane's here. I've talked to him. But I'm here for the rest of the kids. Now I can be a, a mentor. I can be an example. I can be a positive voice in their lives as well. So I use that opportunity to be with my kids, but also to then encourage a whole group of kids, whatever it may be. So I feel like that's part of my calling. I enjoy sports. It's part of who I am. So I can use that, that gifting and that enjoyment in my life to then bless others as well. Um, and you, you have to think through, you're like, what is my calling? Because we have to nail that down if we're going to love people who want to control us. Because I don't know about you, uh, I, I have a tendency in my life to be a people pleaser. 
You ever have a tendency to do that? Just like, you know what? I don't want to disappoint you. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to say no. I don't want to, you know. And so, so we tend to bend on our calling, bend on what we want to do, bend on what we feel we should be doing because somebody comes with an idea. Somebody comes with a thought for our life. Somebody comes with their plan, their thing, and it's like, ah, oh, I don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to be disappointed. So I'm going to do what they want me to do. And so we all, and maybe to different levels and different degrees, uh, can deal with people pleasing. And, um, you know, if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you're a people pleaser, uh, you definitely would raise your hand because you wanted me to at least feel good and then I'd ask you to raise your hand, you know. Uh, so we won't even do that. But, you know, people pleasing, and this may sound harsh, but I'm talking to myself as well. People pleasing is a form of idolatry because we're putting somebody else sometimes. Now, not every form of it, you know. There's something called being nice. You can be nice, okay? But when we get into real people pleasing where it's, we are not then doing what God is asking us to do. We are just doing what people always want us to do. That's idolatry. Because instead of trusting God with what he wants us to do, we just let whatever whim comes our way, whatever somebody says, that's what controls our life. And we stop letting God control our life. We let other people control our life. And so we have to be careful about that. When we wrongly put people's opinions of us ahead of what God's calling is, it can be a form of idolatry. That's why we need to be clear of our calling. It's like a filter when we're clear with our calling, it's, it's a filter that filters out all these opportunities, all these ideas, all these plans that people have, all the stuff people are saying. It filters it out, and it keeps what God wants us to do in the forefront. So the reality is, um, you know, when we, when we have a sense of calling, it creates clarity. And neither, none of us can or should do everything. We're not able to. We can't make everyone happy. We can't please everyone all the time. Uh, it's just not possible. And if we make that the aim of our life, we will be controlled by so many people even when we don't realize it. Because our whole goal in life is to make everybody happy, everybody pleased with us. And this, this will uh, distort what God really wants to do in us. We'll think, well, I'm doing something good because I'm keeping everybody happy. But we may not be actually doing the greatest thing what God's called us to do. We may settle for a lesser version of it. And so remember, we can't save, fix, please, solve. We can't meet with, can't help everyone. We can't be everywhere. We can't do everything. But we can do the things God's called us to do. We can't love the people around us. We can't grasp into the gifts that God's given us and try to pour our energies into those. We can follow the Bible, Scripture, love people. Um, but we don't have to be controlled by them. What does every controlling person have in common? Think about this. Everyone who's controlling has someone else who allows it. Every controlling person has somebody else who allows it. We have to take ownership at some level of the fact that if we're being controlled, that we allow it to happen. We participate in it at some level. We allow people to do it to us because of whatever, whatever reasons we have inside. And so we have to identify that. So there's a, maybe a controlling person who has a problem, but we have a little bit of a problem as well because we're letting it happen to us. So this is why calling is so important. This is why we really do need to nail down, God, what do you want me to do? I want to follow your will. Because I don't just want to go my entire life, whatever people are saying, whatever they're doing, whatever the crowd's doing, whatever the people around me, and so I just kind of go with the flow. Um, God, I want to follow your plan and your purpose for my life. Number two, of the three things we need to know, number two, know when someone is trying to control you. So we have to identify when it happens. Because it's not always our enemies, sometimes it's hard to identify. It's sometimes the people that love us. 
people that care for us that are the ones that are the most controlling. Um, this is what the story was with Jesus and Peter. But before we kind of dive into that, we, we got to remember the difference between authority and control. Now, if my kids were in here, I would probably spend more time on this because I want them to understand. Uh, there is such a thing as authority. And authority is legitimate. Authority is uh, God-honoring, um, God is God, God-given. But when it stays within the, the bounds it's supposed to have, parents have authority over their kids. In that authority, they are supposed to exercise control. As a parent, I want to control my kids so that they can then develop self-control. I want to control them to help them then develop self-control. That's why you put a diaper on a baby. They have no control. So it's an external control to help them develop eventually potty training where they can have self-control. That's, that's what parents' jobs are. That's what authority does. It's constraints, it's control within measure, within reason that helps people develop their own sense of self-control. That's what parents are supposed to do. So don't, don't you know, if the kids are in here like, hey, I know someone's trying to control me. My mom said to clean my room. <laughs> they can't tell me that. Pastor said don't, you know. Well, only kids here are mine today, so we'll, we'll deal with that at the house. But um, there are, there's legitimate senses of control in our lives. Parents and kids, they need to exercise authority. Government, um, you're like, well, the government's trying to control me. I got to say, I got to pay taxes. Well, yeah, so does everybody here. We all pay taxes, right? And you may not like it. I don't like it. But it's part of living in this country. Now, we have an ability to vote. We have the ability to do different things to try to change the structures. But that's not a, an example of excessive control that we have to, to fight against. The Bible says we need to honor the government as much as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so um, you, you look at coaches. Coaches should exert control over the players. All right? Coaches might make you run wind sprints. Like, well, I don't want to. I'm feeling tired and it hurts when I run really fast. And I don't know. Well, coaches are trying to develop you as a player so that you can then in the game perform at your highest level. And in order to do that, you have to go through some times in practice where it's painful. And so this is good. This is, this is okay. Um, teachers, maybe they say, you know, if you have a due date for this paper, well, I'm not going to be controlled by you. I'll turn it in whenever I want. Well, no, because teachers and authority. You're getting what I'm saying, right? Even in the Bible, the Bible talks about the authority within the church. And this is actually, I feel like sometimes you got to walk on eggshells in this when you talk about a pastor's authority. Because pastors, in all of these things, people have misapplied authority and overextended authority. And so they've, they've ruined this idea of authority in a church because they've tried to be too authoritative. And then it, it ruins the whole thing. Say, no, nobody's going to say anything now. I do whatever I want. Um, and it's an unfortunate thing that we can't accept biblical authority without taking it way beyond what it needs to be. So even in the pastor, the Bible says that there's elders in a church. There's people that are, are in, uh, have some sense of authority in the body of Christ. Does that mean they get to boss everybody around what to do? No. But there's a sense of, you know, these are the people that we are, they're leading us, guiding us, helping us. And so we look to them and we, we honor them and we honor everybody because God says to honor all those. Um, but this is something we have to accept. Um, and all of these things can go wrong. Parents can misapply their authority instead of um, trying to help their kids develop self-control can be so controlling that the kids get all messed up and bound up in that. So they're overextending their authority. Now it becomes controlling. Government can go beyond. You look at dictatorships, fascist governments, different things where they're exercising so much control on the people that it's going beyond the bounds of, of, of biblical authority. Coaches, you see some of these coaches occasionally in the news get fired because they, they're yelling at the you know, they have motivational tactics. You got you know, Frank Martin, he's yelling at people. But at some point he punches the kid 
uh, you know, you drew a line there and now you're gone. You know, you're going to get a lawsuit. All right. So you can motivate. You can even yell at kids sometimes and within range. But you got to know what's appropriate. And if you cross that line, that's that's too much. And so, like I said, with churches, churches can have authority and accountability, concern for the folks in the church, uh, calling people to a higher standard. But at some point, we, we don't create an environment where one guy is the big king and everybody else are the little minions. That's not a church environment. That's not what God intended for us because we are the body of Christ. We're, we're together in this. Um, and so let's look at this story as we look at knowing when someone's trying to control us. And we'll kind of keep moving here. Peter and Jesus, Jesus states God's plan. I'm going to lay down my life and suffer. Peter's response is, uh, no, no. He rebukes Jesus. And like I said, Peter wasn't the worst guy that ever lived. He loved Jesus. He didn't hate Jesus. It wasn't his intentional plan to even derail Jesus from his mission. But he just couldn't understand in that moment how God's plan all would come together. He couldn't understand uh, Jesus' calling, and it didn't fit within his mind. So he had to then try to shape it into what he thought. And that's why we have to recognize it. That's why we have to look at it. Because we will experience the threats, the guilts, uh, the guilt trips and manipulation and all these sort of things from people. If, if, if we don't recognize the fact that someone's trying to control us, we will just get wrapped up in it as well because we'll think, well, this is someone who loves me. This is somebody that I'm close to. So I'm sure whatever they're saying is wonderful and good. Number three, no one to draw a line in the sand. No one to draw a line in the sand. Um, this is a very hard thing to do. But it's actually the most loving thing that we can do is to draw a line in the sand. And just like, like we said previously, there is authority that's legitimate and there's authority that's overextended. Uh, with this, you have to kind of measure this out because we don't always draw a line in the sand. Okay? Grandma calls, why didn't you see me? Get behind me, Satan. You know, like, <laughs> Grandma. <laughs> you know, like that's... I'm drawing a line of sand with Grandma. She keeps saying she wants me to visit. I, you know, I'm not going to be controlled by Grandma on her guilt trips. You know, like, let, let, let's you know, dial it back, okay? Every little situation where we feel someone's trying to control us is not a time to draw a line in the sand. Okay? Just like when people wrong us and offend us, you don't have to always say, you know what, I'm going to confront them. Whoa, there we go. I'm going to confront them. I'm going to let them know that they offended me. Sometimes you can choose to overlook an offense you could choose to forgive somebody without even mentioning it to them that's a wonderful thing to do as a believer to not carry everything right here and be able to the bible says to confront you go to them and i would go with two people if it doesn't work sometimes you can just say you know what jesus help me just to have patience today give me patience this is where we develop the fruit of the spirit self-control love joy peace patience this is where the fruit of the Spirit helps us in the, in the little areas of our lives where people are like, just kind of jab us a little bit of control, a little bit of guilt trip, a little bit. We don't have to necessarily do what they're saying, but we don't have to go and draw a line in the sand and say, get behind me, Satan. We can choose to love them. We can choose to, you know, someone comes in, they, you know, you ever have the talkers? People just keep talking. At work, they come in your office, or you like sitting there like, I, mean, I got stuff I got to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're free. You know, maybe sometimes we don't just like, act like a jerk to him. Maybe we listen to him for a second. But, you know, at some point we do want to get back to what we got to do. So we have to figure, hey man, I really, I'd love to continue this conversation, but I have got to get to what I got to do. You know, I, I was actually talking to my wife. She was saying how one of the teachers she works with is a talker. And my wife's a talker, so this must be like intense. You know what I'm saying? This must be like something insane. 
And this this guy, he just comes around, he talks with everybody. And it literally is like a problem in their teaching team because he'll be there an hour. And they have their, they have their planning period and they're supposed to be getting things done. He'll just come talking. They're like, I got great papers. I got, you know, and it's caused, like she said, this other teacher was like, just like stressed out almost like in tears. But what that woman's doing, she's allowing that person to control her rather than drawing the line saying, okay, well, I appreciate what you're saying. What, I have got to get back to what I'm doing. And so it's okay to draw that line at some point um, and say, you know, there's things that are important. Um, I, I, can, I got three minutes, so what do you got? Okay, now I got to get on to where I got to go. So we got to be careful about that. We need to learn how to draw that line in the sand. And so we're not bewildered trying to be nice, trying to be the, oh, I want to listen, I want to be sweet. But at some point it stresses us out so much that we are, we are no good. And so uh, we got to know how to draw that line in the sand. We don't have to draw it all the time. Uh, we went on a camping trip. We, we came up with this thing as a family called NABD. NABD stands for not a big deal. Everybody was complaining about everything. Everybody was like, NABD, not a big deal. That's not a big deal. Okay? We're not going to have to whine about that. We're not going to complain about it. Not a big deal. Well, they took, they're sitting over here. When you have four kids, you have to come up with something. And that's what we came up with. Okay, not a big deal. That's not a big deal. So sometimes we got to have that. This is not a big deal. I draw a line. They want to go eat Mexican. I want to eat Italian. It's okay. We can go to Mexican again. It's fine. Um, not a big deal. You know? So we got to have that within us. But at some point, is this getting me off track from what God's calling me to do? Is this going to cause me to like be completely stressed out? Is this going to do something? I got to learn how to draw that line. Okay, this Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. He calls one of his closest companions uh, the devil himself. And that's intense, but I think it was to get Peter's attention. And I'm not recommending you do that, um, even though Jesus did, because someone may not quite understand what you're saying. Um, but imagine if Jesus was codependent. Imagine if he really, his identity was wrapped up in Peter's opinion. He says, uh, you know, Peter says, oh, you, you can't die on the cross. No, that's... No, no, no. You're, you're the Messiah. And if Jesus was codependent and was really depending on uh, Peter's opinion of him, he might say, you know what? Sorry to get you. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just playing. I was just playing. I won't die on the cross. You know, I don't want, now I see that you're mad. I don't want to do that. Yeah, um, Peter, what, what do you want me to do? You want me just to kind of hang out with you guys? You want to go fishing? We can go fishing, Peter. And we can uh, you know, go down the boat maybe, um, get the nets out. Peter, what do you want? You know, do you want me to, to hang out at your house? Maybe your mother-in-law's sick again? I mean, what do you want me to do? And we just kind of, you know, think about it. If Jesus made Peter's opinion of him what ruled his life, he would have got off track. And he would have pleased one person, but the sins of the world would still be weighing in the balance. You know, I'm, I'm going to die for mankind, but I really care about just what Peter thinks. This is so, we're so grateful Jesus didn't do that. And so we got to know what we're called to do. we got to realize when someone's trying to take, it, take us away from that. And we can't idolize what people think of us. we got to let that go. Sometimes people get mad at us. Sometimes people don't understand. Sometimes people are hurt, even though we weren't intending to hurt anybody. We weren't intending. That was not our, we didn't come across hurtful. But they do get their feelings hurt because we aren't giving in to what they're saying. And sometimes we've been in this codependent, this kind of weird dance controlling thing with people for so long that when we do try to push back, it's going to be challenging. I promise you that. So you hear this message this morning as we're wrapping this up and kind of moving on. Like, All right, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to see what, how this looks in my life. And it may get harder because you're in this relationship with somebody that's so used to being able to control you that the moment you're like, no, 
that's not what God's called me to do. That's not where I'm at right now. You know, I'm gonna have to. They may they may rile up. They may get mad. They may you know start throwing a hissy fit. Right? That's what people do because they don't understand the idea around what you're doing. It'll give you a tough tough pill to small, swallow for them. The last two things on here, if you want to you take notes and write this in, the relationships, we've got to remember this, the relationships that we have um, are a combination of what we've created and what we've allowed. The relationships we have are a combination of what we've created and what we've allowed. So sometimes it's hard to backtrack out of that stuff because people are so used to those patterns. But those patterns are what we've either passively allowed or what we've actively created. And we have to say, you know what, I want to start creating new healthy patterns in my life. I'm going to start really getting my focus on what God wants me to do, what his plans, what his purposes are, what, what he says. I want to follow the word of God in my life. I don't want to just do what everybody else around me is doing. And the second thing is if you don't like what you have, change what you expect and what you accept. If you don't like what you have, change what you expect and what you accept. And this is a tough thing to do where we just say, you know what, I'm just not going to let you talk to me that way. I'm not, you know, that's inappropriate. Um, could be, you know, I'm not going to keep trying to rescue you from that situation. Um, you keep finding yourself here. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, but it's not working. So, you know, I'm going to let, the loving thing to do sometimes is to let people experience the consequences of what they're doing. And say, you know what, I, I can't keep solving your problem for you. I can't, I mean, I want to love you. But this is something you got to get. You know, I want you to develop that in your life. Um, and, and I can't keep coming um, to the rescue here. I can't uh, let your whining, your tantrum, your, your whatever it may be, um, cause me to get off track on what God's calling me to do. I'm not going to let you yell at me or, or I'm not going to let you use the word divorce. That's not something we talk about here. That's not what we're at um, in our marriage I'm not going to give in to the guilt, the threats, all these sort of things. Um, and that's it's going to be challenging, but you know that's what God is wanting to do. If we really want to get on track in our lives and focus on his plan, we can't let other people have the controls of our life. Um, well, let's take a moment. Let's take a breath, and we'll wrap this up. Here's the thing. We're talking about other people this whole time. The truth is, we can all look in the mirror and sometimes the biggest control freaks are right in the mirror. It's tattooed right on our, our forehead. Control freak, right? Sometimes, you know, it's not all those other people. It's us here that need to hear this. It's, it's myself. I was coaching Olivia's soccer game yesterday. It was intense. We lost. I mean, it was our first loss. I was like, this is U8 soccer. This is important, right? Uh, you know, little girls running around and kicking a soccer ball. I'm out there like, come on. I didn't realize what I'm doing. At the end of the game, one of the dads, I know, he was like, hey, man, you kind of like, if you watch Clemson football, they got, you know, Brent Venables, he's got a pullback guy, pulls back, pulls him back, you know, you're out in the field, like, yelling at the, you know, I'm like, uh, oh, yeah, maybe you could be my pullback guy, you know, because I'm in here trying, you know, I think I'm playing a video game, I'm like, all right, Elizabeth, you go over here. All right, then I'm going to move you over here. And, then you're gonna kick. and he actually worked one time because Olivia got a goal. I was like, Olivia, come back here on this corner. They're going to kick it. And she kicked it, and I'm like, yeah. You know, but it doesn't work every time. And so I'm over here thinking I'm controlling. I'm in control. I'm the coach. I'm telling, woo, I'm screaming, ah, you go here, you go there. 
And I'm, I'm probably looking a little bit weird to everybody else, right? Like, this guy's serious about some U8 soccer, right? This guy really cares. Um, but the truth is, you can't control people. I mean, all of my yelling and screaming, okay, it doesn't help the girl that runs up and sweeps over the ball, falls down on her back, the ball rolls past her, and they kick it in the goal. Like, no matter how much I tell her what to do, they're kids. They make mistakes, right? I can't completely control this situation. I can coach them, and I have been. They're doing fine and doing well, but i got to let go of some of that and realize these are a bunch of kids that are playing soccer. You coach them during practice. You help them and just let them get out there. Maybe direct them a little bit. But at some point, you can't control the situation. You can't tell them to kick it harder when they're just doing, doing this and not really trying, like, ah, you know, just kick it out of there, you know. We could win this. You just kick the ball out. Um, but I'm just sharing, I'm sharing me. I know you guys have your things as well. But what we got to come to grips is, you know what, as much as we want to control things sometimes, what we're trying to do is put ourselves in the place of God. We're trying to say, you know what, I have ultimate control. I can, I can really create, it's really an illusion that we're trying to live within. That we can control other people and we can really, even for good, sometimes we have good intentions. I have good intentions. I want these girls to win and be successful. I want them to have fun and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I can't control all that. They got to go play and they got to enjoy and they learn. Um, we try to control our kids. And, 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 you know, they're little. We try to help them. But as they grow older and older, realize the amount of control I really have is less and less. And I might have some influence, but I don't have control. You have grown kids. You might have influence, but you don't have control. You can't control what the choices they're making. And, and, and you can beat yourself up because I want to control, I want to, and it's not going. But realize, you know, I have to let God be in control. Mm-hmm. I have to trust God because he's the one in control, not me. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, you want things, you know, I want to raise my kids right, I want to do everything I can. But you know, even at the end of the day, I can't control the, their future. But God can, right? Mm-hmm. God can. So we got to, rather than trying to do this, we probably should do this, right? A little bit of prayer. Yeah. And say, Lord, would you, would you work in this situation? Would you solve this? Would you help in this? Because I can't do it. We need to spend a lot more time in prayer, praying for things, asking God to intervene, than us trying to come in and turn all the dials and do all the little controllers and, 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 and so forth. we got to have God come in. No matter how hard we try, we can't change our spouse. You know? Sometimes you want to. <laughs> you try you know, uh, the other day, Cassie, we were leaving the game, went to Lexington High School, got slaughtered by a Dutch fork, and we went and watched that for some reason. And um, we're leaving, and I'm just like, ah, we're getting killed, whatever, let's go. I'm just trying to get back to the car. And, and Cassie, being who she is, this is who she is, she found somebody that she knew, and she just started talking to him, because she's Carrie Breen, Jr. So that's who she is. And so she just started talking, and I'm like, I don't know this person. You know, she knows all these teaching world people, and they're at the game, there's this teacher, I was at induction with this person. I don't know these people. And, and my introversion then takes over. Like, I don't care to know them that much. You know, like, I do, but I don't. And I just want to get to the car. And she had the keys, and I was getting all grumpy, and Cecilia's with me, she can tell you. And, and I was just, I was getting to a point, I, I shouldn't have been there. I should have just said, you know what, why do I have to control this? I can just take three four minutes there's my daughter I can have a conversation with her I can talk to her I can just take a breath it's not a big deal right but so often we want everything in our own shape and form it's got to go how we want it 
And that gets us in so much trouble. I think if we would let go of that stuff and say, God, <laughs> I give you this situation. I love my wife, Cassie, who loves to talk to people that I don't know. And I'll just let her do that because that's who she is. And, you know, I do stuff, I'm sure, that drives her nuts. But if she'll love me for who I am, I'm sure we'll have a pretty awesome marriage at some point, you know. Rather than me trying to make her be like I want, she's trying to make me be like she wants. You know, we can just accept and love each other as we are and trust God to, to change us along the way as we humbly surrender our lives to him. I think we will, we will be in such a better place. So as we, as we wrap this up, you want to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to just say a prayer together. I just wonder if there's anybody here this morning that deals with this on a daily basis. I would think everybody to some degree does. We deal with being controlled by others or wanting to control other people. And I believe God has something better for us. Whether we're the more people-pleasing type that just kind of gives in and we don't ever really figure out what is God wanting me to do with my life? Not what everybody else is saying, whatever else is doing, what the crowd, where they're going, or what does God want me to do? We never get there because we're so worried about letting somebody down or, or you know, somebody being mad at us. And we need the Lord to strengthen our, our hearts and strengthen our lives so that we can stand in the face of somebody saying, no, do this, do this, and be willing to say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but I believe God wants me to do this over here. To tactfully and lovingly be able to do that. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I'm too often I find myself trying to control other people, get them to do what I want. And I need to, this morning, lay that down because it's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for me. It's not what God wants me to do. Maybe you're a parent and it's your kids. And there's a, there's a certain element of that we need to do that. But then we need to do it within reason and with, with a goal. Like, what do I want for this? I want them to have self-control. I want them to grow and be the best type of kids and the, and the best young, young adults and adults. That's what I want. That's the goal I want. I don't want to just try to control their stuff until they just despise me. I want them to, to come to love me and love the Lord. So as we think through this, whether you're in both camps, one or the other, this morning you would say, you know what, Pastor Sheldon, I want God to help me in this area of control. Either dealing with controlling people or my own sense of wanting to control people. If you would lift your hand just as a sign and say, that's me this morning. So many. I believe it's probably all of us, really. I just want to say a prayer over us this morning. Lord, I thank you that you care for us, God. And God, we, we believe from Scripture that even though, even though we've turned from you, God, you don't force us to love you. God, you don't force us to love you, even though that's the best thing for us. But God, you've made every provision in every way that we could love you, that we could follow you, that we could be saved. So Lord, this morning, we, we once again release the control of our lives to you. 
God, for those of us here that want to always have everything in our way, God, we let go of the reins and say, God, you are the one that should be in control, not me. You know best, not me. And like I said in this scripture, if those are going to come after Jesus, we have to take up our cross and follow you. That means we've got to die to ourselves each and every day. So Lord, help us to do that. For those people maybe we've hurt by controlling them, Lord, help us to start a new pattern, a new way. Lord, help us to gain their trust again by, by acting differently. Lord, I pray for those here that are in controlling relationships. Help us to know how to identify that. God, how to know what our own calling is. God, what our priorities are. God, help us to know when things are, are, are forgivable, or things that we can be patient with, things we can have the fruit of the Spirit exercising in our life. Lord, help us to know when to draw a line in the sand and say, this is no, this is enough. And I need to do what God wants me to do, and this is not it. So Lord, help us to have wisdom. Guide us and lead us. Lord, help us this week with those people in our lives to be patient, to love them like you love them, Lord. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you guys.